This is the What Happened Today podcast, your daily history podcast that tells you what happened on this day in history. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at Prod Leisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and what happened today, October 20th, in 1973. President Richard M. Nixon asked for Attorney General Elliot Richardson to fire Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox, who was investigating the Watergate scandal. When Richardson refused and resigned in protest, the task fell to Deputy Attorney General William Ruckelshaus, who also refused and resigned, leaving the firing of Archibald Cox to Robert Bork, the Solicitor General. On the other hand, Bork was, at that point, the highest-ranking person in the Justice Department. The entire affair would become known as the Saturday Night Massacre, and it's one of the pivotal moments in the entire Watergate scandal. It's also, in some ways, one of the dumbest moments in the Watergate scandal, and that's truly saying something. The Watergate scandal stemmed from a break-in at the Watergate office complex on June 17, 1972, by five men. James McCord, Bernard Baker, Virgilio Gonzalez, Eugenio Martinez, and Frank Sturgis. The five men were caught in the act because they placed tape over the lock on the door, twice, and a security guard noticed it. Almost as soon as they were taken in, it turned out they were connected to G. Gordon Liddy and E. Howard Hunt. They were basically there to do the president's dirty work. And yet despite the fact that it was pretty obvious where the money trail led, actually implicating Richard Nixon and the higher-ups in the White House and the campaign was difficult. Even though the target of the break-in was the Democratic National Committee headquarters, even though it happened during President Nixon's re-election campaign, which he won easily over George McGovern, no one could quite pinpoint it. In February of 1973, literally two weeks after Nixon had been inaugurated for a second time, a select committee to investigate Watergate was established. In May, Archibald Cox was appointed by Elliot Richardson to be a special counsel for the executive branch. So there were two simultaneous Watergate investigations. In some ways, because it came from the Justice Department, the executive branch's own investigation of itself had more power and authority. Since he was a special prosecutor and there were supposed to be rules about how he would be involved with the White House, it seemed like Archibald Cox had the most power to get subpoenas, to find investigations. And he did this quite well. And he realized that it wasn't just that Nixon might have ordered the investigation to be covered up. He might have actually ordered the break-in in the first place. And he might have had all these other secret dealings. And that's what Cox was on to. In the summer of 1973, it became obvious that Richard Nixon had been taping pretty much every conversation in the Oval Office while he was president. This would obviously include any plans to break into the Watergate complex, into the DNC offices, and then cover it up. And this is the situation that Richard Nixon found himself in on October 20th, 1973. By that point, people were pretty certain that Richard Nixon had ordered the break-in, that he was actively covering it up, and that he was trying to obstruct justice in some way. He refused to release any tapes. He would occasionally say some transcripts of certain conversations, if they are edited, can be released, citing national security concerns. And there was a general problem with getting through with anything. And that is when, on a Saturday... And after Cox had issued a subpoena asking for Richard Nixon to turn over the taped conversations in the Oval Office and refusing to do so, Nixon came up with a compromise. It would be called the Stennis Compromise because Nixon had suggested that a senator could, in fact, review the tapes and then summarize them for the special prosecutor. And the senator he chose was John Stennis, Democrat of Mississippi. 
However, his party and his state were not what was important for Nixon. Instead, Stennis was known to be remarkably hard of hearing, and that was the senator that Nixon wanted to hear, the tapes, exclusively, and then to provide a summary. It was a transparently dumb offer. No one would take it. Cox refused it, but it was a Friday. He thought that nothing would happen on Saturday. Instead, during the day on Saturday, Nixon called in Elliot Richardson and instructed him to fire Archibald Cox as special prosecutor. Richardson refused, which seems kind of natural. He technically serves at the pleasure of the president, but it's a strange thing to be asked to essentially help cover up a crime, to say, oh yes, I will participate in this. But to add to the sort of more ridiculous nature of the entire process, Nixon thought, well, I'll just go to your deputy AG, William Ruckelshaus. And the exact same thing was repeated. Nixon asked Ruckelshaus to fire Cox as special prosecutor. Ruckelshaus refused and then resigned his job. Leaving it to the Solicitor General of the United States, Robert Bork, to fire Cox probably was not quite appropriate or even necessarily the way the process should have gone, although this was also a brand new situation. No one knew quite what was happening. Robert Bork would later say that he thought that what Nixon wanted to do was completely valid and legal, but he still also thought about resigning because he didn't really want to be just the guy who did the president's bidding, but he still decided to do it. After being sworn in as the acting attorney general, he wrote a letter firing Archibald Cox. And this is when the Saturday Night Massacre breaks through. The actual actions of the Saturday Night Massacre are not what are truly important. It's that this had this massive ripple effect. Stories would come out later about a party taking place in Arlington for Art Buchwald, a Washington Post columnist. Of course, this meant that a lot of significant members of the political press were there. And they all started hearing word come out through getting various phone calls while they were at the party and then word spreading that somehow... Archibald Cox had been fired by Robert Bork because Richardson and Ruckelshaus had resigned. The entire situation was crazy. It seemed to not only be that Watergate had now gone from possible misconduct during the election to an active case of obstruction of justice, but also now a special prosecutor was gone. And what really started to happen after the Saturday Night Massacre was that people basically could only talk about Watergate. The actual term Saturday Night Massacre has an unclear origin. Within a week, people just started referring to what has been called a Saturday Night Massacre, and then a week after that, it was the Saturday Night Massacre. It's a bit of a ridiculous statement in some ways. No one died. No one was even physically harmed. But in terms of the impact, it was something that echoed a massacre. It changed things. All of a sudden, Richard Nixon was on the public stage in full view of everybody, obstructing justice. He had fired the special prosecutor investigating him, and he had seemed to have done it in a shady way. He sent a limousine to get Robert Bork. But as remarkable as the very events were, the reaction immediately was that Nixon had gone too far. Most members of Congress and a large chunk of the American people thought this was an abuse of presidential power. In November of 1973, a judge, Gerhard Gessel, said that firing Cox was absolutely illegal unless there was some notable case of impropriety. Because in the actual regulation that established his role as special prosecutor, he said he could only be fired for any gross impropriety. None was ever given. This was the moment at which people thought that Nixon should be impeached, that the Watergate scandal had gone too far. Despite that, it took months for actual action to take place. In fact, it was not until the following summer in July when the first article of impeachment, when the first article of impeachment came through the House Judiciary Committee. On August 8th, 1974, Nixon would resign. 
basically so he wouldn't be impeached. He had been told by the leadership of the Republican Party in both the House and the Senate he would be voted out of office if he didn't resign. In many ways, the Saturday Night Massacre is one of the more ridiculous moments in American political history. Richard Nixon, as president, was being investigated for covering up a crime and then basically obstructed justice. And if he thought that doing it on a Saturday would mean it had less of an impact, he was absolutely wrong. This is before the 24-hour news cycle, but this was still a time when everyone would tune in to the TV news and check the morning paper. They would hear about it. Also, it seemed to confirm all the worst things about Nixon that were present in the Watergate scandal. That he was overly secretive, vindictive. That he did seek out any chance to bury his enemies. That he was willing to stall an investigation or even stop it. And in fact, Leon Jaworski, who was chosen by Robert Bork to continue the investigation as special prosecutor, mostly followed what Archibald Cox did. Of course, because of the Saturday Night Massacre, Jaworski was almost untouchable. Perhaps the biggest impact other than leading to Nixon's resignation was the career of Robert Bork. He was seen as a leading light for possibly being nominated to the Supreme Court. Of course, Nixon left, and his replacement, Gerald Ford, would never have driven it, neither would Democrat Jimmy Carter, who beat Ford in the 1976 election. But in 1987, Ronald Reagan would nominate Robert Bork for the Supreme Court, where the Senate would reject him. He was still too tainted from the Saturday Night Massacre, even though it was 14 years later. That's how big the Saturday Night Massacre would linger. It absolutely shifted the Watergate scandal from a possible impropriety by the executive branch to an active cover-up of significant wrongdoing, and it seemed to taint everyone involved. It would be what Elliot Richardson is most known for. It was the moment that Richard Nixon went from being a president who represented, as he would put it, a silent majority, to a conniving, crooked president who behind the scenes was scheming and trying to obstruct whatever was going on. And people first realized how deep the Watergate scandal went because Richard Nixon ordered Attorney General Elliot Richardson to fire the special prosecutor, Archibald Cox. Then Richardson refused and resigned, as did Deputy Attorney General William Ruckelshaus, leading the job to Solicitor General and then Acting Attorney General Robert Bork, who would eventually fire Cox. All of which happened on a Saturday, giving it the name Saturday Night Massacre, which is what happened today, October 20th in 1973. That will do it for today's episode, but as always, please check back in tomorrow for a brand new episode because we are a daily history podcast and we do put out a new episode each and every day. You can find all of our episodes on our website, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're listening to us on either iTunes or Stitcher, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and leave a review because those are the ways you can help us to get onto charts and be heard by brand new listeners. You can also help us out a bit more directly by going to our Patreon page patreon.com slash productive leisure and becoming one of our patrons at patreon patrons give small monthly contributions to support ongoing creative work like a podcast network so if you want to hear more of the what happened today podcast or any other productive leisure network podcast please go to patreon.com slash productive leisure and become one of our patrons today you can also follow us for updates on everything to do with the productive leisure network on facebook and twitter at prod leisure thanks for listening and see you tomorrow